I want to do something a little different this week, Julie. This Typically, in the past, we've had experts on to talk about specific medical problems, but I feel like anecdotes and people's stories are really, really powerful. And we recently did an episode talking about exercise and cardiac health, and I have an experience with a patient of mine that just really stood out to me. And I, I reached out to him, and I, I asked if he'd be willing to come on the show, and he was in agreement to do that. And so I, I want to feature for everybody, a, a patient of mine on today's episode. And just to give you a little background, I was just reminded this is like over five years ago. It's amazing how time flies. But he came to me and had some pain in his right shoulder blade. And it had been going on for a couple months. Just to give you a picture of what this man looked like, he walked in and he was much fitter than me. He's a, he's an <laughs> ultra marathon runner. He's, he's older, but he clearly took care of himself. And he'd worked really hard at trying to get this pain to go away. He saw a chiropractor. He'd done some physical therapy. He'll, he'll review all of this. And he'd even had an MRI of his thoracic spine. And all of this stuff had basically not been helping. And one of the things that he said during the interview that really stood out with me was that he was having trouble even walking a few blocks due to the pain. And of course, this guy has been running ultra marathons and he's super healthy. And I just, it didn't make sense to me that you couldn't walk a few blocks due to some pain in your back. It's just not the, or especially the upper back. It's not the most common. And so at that point, I went on a little bit of a journey that led to what I think is the most interesting story that I've seen as a, as a physician. And so I want to bring on Jerry uh, to tell his story and stick around because I think it's not what you're going to expect. Yeah, absolutely. I'm riveted. All right, let's do it. Welcome to Your Doctor Friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen, and we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions, and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. So this is a very special episode for me. I'm so happy that that Julie and I can be together to do this episode. We're going to have our first patient on. So I'm going to introduce Jerry Cropsey. Jerry is a patient of mine who uh, has graciously agreed to come on this podcast. And he was so thrilled with my <laughs> medical care that he moved to Colorado very quickly <laughs> afterward. He's been living the good life out in, out in Colorado, and he agreed to come on to tell us her story. And so Jerry, please say hello, introduce yourself, and then just tell us your story. Well, hello, and thank you for having me again. As you said, my name is Jerry Cropsey. I'm a patient of yours. And the story kind of goes like this. Towards the end of 2017, I was starting to experience some back pain behind my right shoulder blade. It wasn't uncommon for me to actually have back pain um, because I do train a lot. Uh, my muscles get tight. And basically what I would do is go see, I had an ART guy in Chicago, Dr. Ryan, who would always take care of me, mend all my wounds, get me all loosened up. So I went and I visited him. He worked on me a number of times and just nothing would really work. So I started exploring some different doctor treatments. As you mentioned, I went to a spine doctor. I had an MRI. I did massages and just nothing would really release the tension from my back. And it was extremely painful. The episode started when I used to get off from work and I'd walk a mile to see my wife and then we would drive home together. And so one night, like half a mile in, my back started to hurt. Again, I just felt like it was something that normally happens to me and I didn't think anything about it. But after about two months, I literally couldn't walk a block. 
maybe a block and a half without the pain just shooting down my back, up my neck, and it was excruciating. So at that time, I was actually recovering from ACL surgery, and I was in physical therapy for that. And I believe his name was Joe. And so I was seeing Joe for my knee, and I told him my situation, how bad my back was hurting. He did some dry needling, did some massaging, Um, just couldn't get anything to work out. So basically he said, hey, I've got a friend who's a doctor. Would you mind go seeing him? And I said, no, I'd do anything right now to to try to figure out what was going on with me. So January 29th, 2018, I came and saw you, Dr. Jeremy, and um, told you my story, gave you my MRI. You looked at the MRI. You looked at my back. Uh, We did a examination. And again, as you pointed out, I I mentioned that it really only hurts when I'm walking, climbing stairs, riding a bike, or doing anything of that sort. And he said, okay, uh, give me a couple minutes. You kind of disappeared. <laughs> you came back and said, um, do you have a cardiologist? And I said, no, I don't have a cardiologist. I'm in fine health. I've never had an issue with my heart. And he said, well, I've got a cardiologist that I'd like you to go see. I've already made a phone call. He can see you on January 31st, two days later. Uh, Why don't you go see him? And again, I was in agony and I just thought, whatever, I'll go see a cardiologist um, just to check the box to make sure that I did do it. So on the 31st, I saw Dr. Kishman and I explained my story to him again. And he thought nothing much about it. He luckily, side note, he had just crewed for a person who did a hundred mile race. So he understood the whole ultra aspect. He understood where I wanted to be, what my goals were. And so he said, you know what, let's just do an EKG. I said, I'm here, hook me up. (laughs) So the EKG came back and he read it. He said, you look fine. Everything looks normal. And I said, okay, where do we go from here? And he said, well, I also scheduled you a nuclear stress test for this afternoon. Again, let's just check the boxes. You got the day off from work. Just go do it. And I (laughs) happily agreed. And I said, okay, let's see where that avenue takes us. So I went to the stress test center, whatever you want to call it. They hook you up with a pick and they inject nuclear die into your bloodstream had to wait there for about an hour and i think at that time i called my wife and i said you won't believe what's happening to me you know cardiologist said i'm fine with ekg but now i've got nuclear dye running through my body and we're going to do a stress <laughs> test to see what's going on and, turning into the hulk <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> and she said well you know you're there let's do it and we'll figure it out and i said that's fine So after about an hour, they put you in an MRI machine. They take photographs of the dye running through your body in a normal situation, kind of as a stagnant person or in your normal heart rhythm, if you will. And then they throw you on the treadmill. They raise your heart rate up to a certain rate, whatever that rate is that they want. And then they throw you back in the machine and they take more pictures of you. So after the first set of pictures, they threw me on this treadmill. 
And I literally got maybe five minutes into the test and my back was just awful, killing me. And um, I just couldn't go any further. And so they said, if that should happen, then we'll stop the test and we'll inject you with something that will artificially raise your heart rate or get your heart rate up via whatever they're shooting into me. You guys probably know better than I do what that is. But anyway, so they did do that. Uh, It was probably one of the weirdest feelings I've ever had. And then they waited a couple minutes and then threw me back into the MRI machine, took some more pictures, and I came out and they asked me politely to sit in the chair and wait until someone came back after reading the MRI results. And um, I waited there, not sure how long, maybe 15, 20 minutes, seemed like forever. And this nice woman came in and she said, uh, I see some abnormalities in the photographs that are coming back or your x-rays. I want someone to double check them. Can you hang out for another 10 minutes? And yeah, I was intrigued to say the least, if not scared and wanted to see what was going on. Um, So she came back in 10 minutes and said, yeah, we've confirmed there's some abnormalities in the x-rays. We are going to contact your cardiologist right away, and um, he should be contacting you soon for the next steps. And so I was, I don't know what I was feeling. You know, a whole bunch of thoughts were going through my head. Jump in the cab to get from the doctor's office back to my my office, which is probably a 10-minute cab ride. And within that time, the doctor called me. And so I knew things were getting serious. And so he said, uh, yeah, we've uh, seen some abnormalities in your x-ray. We really want to do an angiogram so we get a better idea of what's going on with your heart. So it's standard procedures. There's nothing really to worry about. So again, I agreed. And on February 2nd, two days later, uh, I went in for an angiogram. And that is another weird experience that I don't think everyone should go through. But anyway. I went through it. They put you in a twilight and they get you on a gurney. They put you in a room with all these nice people and nurses and doctors. And the doctor performing the angiogram came up to me and said, um, okay, before the test, I want to explain to you what we're doing. We're going to go up through your inner thigh near your groin, up through your heart and just take pictures and see what's going on. And, um, there's three possible outcomes for this procedure. We could go in and see nothing and you're perfectly fine. We send you on your way. Uh, the second one is we can see some minor blockages. We can then install some stints if possible and kind of clear up those passageways, get the blood flowing again. Um, and he said the third option or possibility is we go in, we see you have clogged arteries. Uh, we can't put stints in them. We'll have to stop the procedure, and then we'll go on from there. We'll tell you about the next steps that you'll have to go through. So the procedure started, and again, I'm in a twilight, so I don't know how long it lasted, but it it probably seemed like 10 minutes. It was kind of short. And the doctor came back in and said, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we see some very large blockage. You've got one that's about 85% blocked, another one that's about 95% blocked. Unfortunately, we can't put stints in. We'll have to move to the next procedure or procedure in this thing. And um, you'll be talking to some cardiac surgeons. 
And uh, so they wheeled me out of the procedure room to the recovery area. And before I even got to the recovery area, there were already three cardiac surgeons in my holding pen, if you will, um, waiting to talk to me. And I said, okay, what's the next procedure? Where do we go from here? And they said, okay, we need to do open heart surgery. We need to do some bypassing, um, and we'd like to do that tomorrow. So this was on a Thursday. They wanted to proceed on Friday. And the first thing I remember saying was, hold on, I need my wife. I've had a lot of injuries, a lot of surgeries, and my wife's been with me through all of them. She's been my rock through all of that stuff. And there was no way I was going to hear what the next procedure was, especially was dealing with my heart before I, my wife was in the room. So Kate showed up and the surgeons kindly explained what they saw and what they needed to do. And um, it was just this really surreal, scary feeling. And I, I told them, you know what, are you telling me I have to have these tomorrow or, you know, can it wait? And they said, no, we really don't need to do them tomorrow, but we can't wait much longer than I would say a week. We really need to see you, get you in, take care of your situation. So I said, you know what? I can't say yes right now. I need to think about this. Let me go home, you know, figure out my affairs, figure out where I'm going for this. Let my boss know what's going on. Let my parent know what's going on and I'll reschedule. And they said, that's fine. So I went home, discussed this with my wife. And I also, you know, I've been, been training for ultras. So I also have a running coach and a very dear friend. Her name's Robin Lalonde. She owns Edge Athlete Lounge. And I called her and I said, you never guess what's going on. And so I explained to her what was going on. And she said, okay, you know, it sounds like you need to have the surgery. And so I agreed with her and I started calling around different people. I, I think I called the cardiologist, Dr. Krishman, Dr. Jeremy. I think I might've called you. Yeah, we talked. I remember that. Yeah. I was trying to gather as much information as I could in the a little bit of time that I had known about this um, to direct me to the right thing to do. Did I need a second opinion? Um, is this really happening to me? And so at the end of the day, I think by weekend time, my wife and I and the rest of my team um, agreed that I needed it. And so I scheduled surgery right away. And on February 8th, I went into Rush Presbyterian Hospital at 7 a.m. in the morning and had a triple bypass. So that whole time frame, and we talked about it earlier, was between the time I saw you, Dr. Jeremy, and actually having surgery was... 10 days. So this thing was just a fast moving find and a fast moving, um, I guess, solution to my issue, which, um, although it was really fast and I really didn't have time to process it, I'm really glad that it happened quickly and I didn't have time to process it, it does. if that makes any sense. So uh, procedure went well. I uh, met with the doctor the following day on February 9th, who performed the surgery. He told me that um, 
he said when they after they did the bypasses, the portion of my heart that was not, was not getting the amount of blood flow pinked right up, and everything looked fantastic, closed up really good, and now the ball is in my court and meet with the cardiologist and carry on. And then he kind of left. Spent three or four days in the hospital. After I met with the surgeon the whole time, my then focus was just to get out of the hospital because I think I'm like everyone else and the last place you want to be is in a hospital and you try to do everything you possibly can to get the heck out of there and back to your home base to at least have your home base to recoup in and find out what the next steps are. So I did that. I met with my cardiologist soon after and then went into cardiac rehab. I think that started in March 18th. So a little over a month uh, before I started cardiac rehab. Great facility. The woman that was the director there kind of handheld me through the whole process because she really, I'm pretty sure she could see how scared I actually was. Again, I've had a lot of injuries, a lot of broken bones, a lot of surgeries, but those are pretty easy, you know, again, I'm using air quotes, Mm -hmm. to get over because they throw you in the cast, they say, wait six weeks, do three weeks of physical therapy, and then you're fine. Here with anything dealing with your heart just scares me because you really don't know, I don't know if I'm okay. So um, they hook you up uh, with a heart rate monitor. They throw you on a treadmill. They're monitoring your heart rate throughout the entire session. I think I went to three or four sessions. I know I didn't complete the full allotted uh, schedule of time because the woman who was monitoring me was sending back my information to the cardiologist, and they kept saying, you know, you're healthy, you're fantastic. You don't need therapy anymore. Go out and and recover and have fun. So I remember the last day there, it was it was emotional because I felt okay being supervised, but now I didn't have that crutch or that support that was watching me, making sure that my heart was working, that I was doing okay, and that I was moving. So I took a few additional steps after this, which was before my surgery, my coach, Robin, had said, you know what, I know you're not the first athlete going through this. Before your surgery, why don't you Google research athletes or endurance athletes that had cardiac experiences, that had heart surgery, and try to touch base with those people and get their input. So prior to surgery, I did do my search. I did my homework. I found a fantastic foundation. It's Iron Heart Foundation. And I believe the director is David Watkins, or I know he's closely related to that organization. He might have been the founder or co-founder, and I'm not really sure. So I reached out to him prior to my surgery. And he called me right away and heard my story and basically said, I know you're scared. I've been through it. Plenty of people that have been on this uh, Facebook page and in this foundation have been through what you've been through. All I can tell you is you're going to be okay. You need to trust your doctors and call me when you're done and ready to get back to what you've been doing, which was, you know, running, biking, swimming and all that stuff. 
He said, I also have a documentary that's on my Facebook page. I think it's called Flatline to Finish Line. He said, it's pretty graphic. I don't want you to watch it before your surgery. (laughs) So I want you not to know anything that's going on. If you feel like you need to watch it after it, I highly recommend it. But I, truth be told, I've never watched it because I'm pretty sure I don't want to know what happened to me in those four to six hours in surgery. Anyway, I reached back out to David and I said, okay, I'm done with my surgery. I'm done with rehab. Where do I go from here? My cardiologist told me, you know, you probably shouldn't be running more than 5K, maybe a half marathon. And I said, I don't want to limit myself to that because... You know, six months prior to that, I've been running 50 miles through the Grand Canyon and had a great time and just want to get back to that. And he said, okay, we've got a long list of cardiac physicians who specialize in working with endurance athletes. Why don't I get you in touch with one of them? And then you can go from there. So that's what happened. I found a Dr. Michael Emery in Indianapolis. He deals with endurance athletes. He said, Come see me. Throw you through the gamut. We'll see how your heart's reacting to stress. We'll make a game plan. And so I flew out. Gosh, maybe a couple weeks after I got my initial talk with him. And he did. They hooked me up to all these machines. They put me on a bike. They put me on a treadmill. Um, They read my reports. And he said, your heart looks great. He said, the best I can tell you, it looks fine. If you... In my opinion, if you want to try to move forth in doing something larger than a half marathon or marathon, I think you would be okay. However, let's be smart about this. Let's not, you know, that doesn't mean go out and run 20 miles tomorrow. We need a slow process, a slow rebuild into this, which I heard him and I, I took it to heart and I made copious notes and I got back in touch with my coach who in the meantime she was already prepping for me to come back to her so she had purchased the book called heart to start by dr james beckman and it basically helps cardiac patients go from the couch back to you know loosely running or getting back to activity so she had read that already and she was ready for me to come back to her we made a very good plan, a very long stretch, six-month slow build into everything. Uh, I started by walking. I started by treadmill. And then uh, eventually I did my first 50K in 2020. I completed my first 50K after surgery. And actually what was nice about that is uh, – My neighbor, this was during COVID, my neighbor Hans had said, you know, I'm really bored. Teach me what you're doing. And so Mm -hmm. while I was preparing for this 50K, I was actually teaching him about endurance running, that it's not not about, you know, this isn't a sprint. Endurance, this is uh, nutrition's important and hydration's important and watching your heart rate's important. So it was fun in that aspect. And then... When I did my first 50K after heart surgery, it was actually his 50K ever. So we crossed the finish line at the same time and had a great time. So cool. Yeah. 
So that is basically the long and short of that story. Jerry, what an amazing story, man. I mean, I, I just, I have so much admiration for you and your process and just am so, I, I didn't know that 50K part of it for those listening. Like I, I've, Jerry and I had a little bit of follow-up and then he moved and then we hadn't really stayed in touch and we touched base again for this. And so that's a surprise for me. And just, I, I, my heart skipped a beat there in a good way. Like I just, that's, I'm so happy for you, man. There's a few things I want to like ask and, and, and kind of go with. And then I don't know if you have stuff too, Julie, but I think the first thing to build off there is how much I admire your process there. I feel like you really hit on how many things come at you and how quickly they happen. Like when you're going through these processes and anybody who's been a patient or had a surgery just kind of knows how vulnerable you can feel in those situations. And I just, the whole time you kind of like were thinking and involving your family and, you know, at the same time, really listening to what the doctor's advice was, you know, not checking you weren't going on deep spirals to find answers that you were looking for. You were trying to bring people in and try to get everybody's best opinion. You called a million doctors. We met again. Like, I just feel like that that process was, is just so admirable. And then even afterward, like to have the wherewithal, I think your coach just did you such a favor by telling you to find community afterward or, or during, because I just think community is, is so important. And it seems like it was so important for you. And then even so, I wrote this down during your story, the 10 days, right, which would be the documentary if you were making it the 10 day documentary, right? (laughs) It sounded so lonely and isolated. Like, it just sounded like so many things were happening to you and around you. And you were just trying to keep up. And then there was that almost like climax moment where you said, like, I need to have my wife. And you brought your wife in and then you kind of thought everything through and then decided to move forward with the surgery. But then almost like the complete opposite afterward, because you found the Iron Heart Foundation and you found the community and your coach read the book and you get back and then you're teaching your friend to do these things. And it's just there's a lot of documentation on people who have cardiac issues and post cardiac depression and anxiety, almost in the way that postpartum is analogous to that depression and anxiety. And I just feel that your story and the way that you were able to find community through that is just super, super inspiring, to be honest, and and really a model for like how we should be treating patients for almost everything. It doesn't have to be finding the Iron Heart Foundation and doing ultra marathons, but everybody has hobbies and interests and everybody's gone through things before and having community of people who've been through things before is super great. So I think that that summed up a lot of things I, I wanted to to kind of just touch base on. I want to ask you a question. Did you ever think throughout the process or even now, why you? Like, why did it happen? You always have that thought. Again, I would say with any injury that I had, you know, why me? Why did I step that wrong way and blow up my knee or break my ankle or whatever? But Yes, I did say, why me? And then once my family, my immediate family found out about my condition and having to have a bypass, my mom went in and got tested. And four months later, she had a quadruple bypass. And then my uncle, her brother, went and got tested and he had a triple bypass maybe a couple months after that. And, you know, all my family members went in to get tested I think at the end of the day, now to answer your question, I think why me, it was it was a hereditary thing because it seemed like, you know, a lot of my immediate family 
had the same condition, the same clogging of the arteries that I had. Why was I the first one to have it in my family or get found? I couldn't tell you, maybe because uh, I was lucky enough to meet you. <laughs> and you sent me to a cardiologist. Thanks, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I threw one out there. That's, that's great. One more thing that, that stands out to me. I have vivid memories of your case. Uh, we, we remember a lot of people in medicine, but we see a lot of patients. I, I think Julie and I had even discussed maybe doing an episode of does my doctor knew who I am <laughs> at some point. Like, And sometimes we know our patients for the wrong reasons. Like Either way, your case will stay with me forever. And there's certain moments of that case that my interactions with you that I can viscerally like place myself. And the first one is, I remember when you told me the walking, like it hurts when I walk. And I, I remember I was, I was leaning up against the table standing in front of you and you were sitting in a chair. And I remember saying like, it's interesting to say it again. And then I had you repeat it. And I was like, so when you walk, it gets worse. And it just like, I just, I very much remember the feeling of that moment. The second memory I have very strongly was the phone call after you'd done all of the cardiac testing, but you were told you had to have the cardiac surgery. And then we, I think we talked on the phone. I don't know if we, maybe we saw each other in the office. Either way, I remember the conversation and I remember you were very thankful, but I remember like hearing a lot of fear in your voice. So I was thankful to have that conversation with you. Um, I think anybody in that situation would have been very scared, but I think it was, you know, I think sometimes clinicians, once we kind of refer the patient off, we think sometimes our job is maybe done. But I, I think that bond and that, that ability to have the trust and like, and be able to have that conversation, I very much remember that, that part of it. And then the, the other part I really remember was when um, Dr. Krishnan, Kusha Krishnan called me and told me the results. And I like, the part of me was like, I knew it. But the other part of me was like, you've got to be shitting me. <laughs> no way. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, those are the parts I remember the most. Yeah, Jerry, that was incredibly inspiring. I mean, I can't even express the amount of gratitude that I, w I want to impart about, you know, being able to listen to your story and see how you, you know, the emotional processing of the immense trauma that you went through. You know, all of a sudden, you're a incredibly fit, active, healthy guy who's been through some shit, you know, and has had bumps and bruises and breaks and ACLs reconstructed. And, and all of those things can be very disempowering, you know, piece by piece. But someone who clearly has patience, <laughs> certainly, I think being an ultra marathoner, you have to be someone, a person of, of patience and integrity, but really just kind of having you put all of this in perspective and hearing the the afterward, as it were, about what a positive impact you've had on the rest of your family and the years of quality life that you may have added to their lives by increasing that awareness. I mean, Jeremy, you're absolutely right. You know, there are patients that are forever in our hearts because because they have these profound stories that will never leave you. And I mean, sometimes the opposite happens and it's an absolute disaster. You know, I've, I have a personal family story of a, my brother's best friend who was not correctly diagnosed with a uh, ascending aortic aneurysm and tragically died at a very young age. And it was very awful. Uh, and it was the beginning of my, my residency training. And I wasn't a part of his care whatsoever. I was at a completely different hospital. And But it's those situations that you never know how many people are going to be hopefully saved or their lives improved because 
someone even heard their story about, you know, I remember I, I was when I was in residency and it was mm-hmm. within a few months after he had passed away and it was a really traumatic event. And I had a patient that came in. She was a really lovely lady. She played, I forget, one of the one of the brass instruments in the symphony. And she was having kind of similar symptoms, back pain that radiated into her neck and her jaw and it was getting worse with exertion. And it scared the crap out of me because it sounded like my friend, you know. So, and I remember she had like pretty cruddy insurance at the time or something too, but I told her, I was like, I do not care. You are going to the ER right now. And she ended up having not a dissection, but another, you know, coronary problem and needed to have cardiac surgery. And I, it was one of those situations where you just look back and say, if she wouldn't have seen me at this, at this time, and I hadn't had that experience in my life, who knows? And, you know, and she's someone that I will always remember forever. And I hope she's doing great. Although this was residency. So that was, you know, forever ago for me. But Jerry, I mean, this is why we go into medicine is to hopefully be that person at that part of somebody's life. And certainly for someone like you, I think it's a testament, Jeremy, to to you trusting your instincts and you, Jeremy, or Jerry and Jeremy, both trusting your instincts, like something ain't right here, you know, like, and, uh, and maybe that's the pearl that we leave our listeners with today is, if it doesn't feel right, you can keep asking people. <laughs> you can ask your doctor friends. You can find somebody else's yeah. doctor friend and ask them. But, And it's hard to say that. I mean, I think that does take a fair amount of privilege to be able to say, like, well, just go get a second opinion. But, you know, I'm, I would hope that there would be opportunities for most folks in our medical world to be able to, if the answer doesn't jive with you or the symptoms won't go away or they're getting worse or you just don't like what you're hearing, Jerry, I give you a lot of credit for advocating for yourself throughout that whole process and not just, you know, sloughing it off and, and moving forward. I mean, it sounds like the pain was was so intense that you, you couldn't ignore it even if you wanted to. But regardless, you know, there may be other things and people are just feeling like, I just don't feel right and I don't like the answer that I got. It's It's absolutely okay to keep questioning and to keep asking for more help. And I'm absolutely so, so glad that you did. So good job, everybody. <laughs> Yeah. Jerry, at, at the end of our episodes, we do something called a, a our world famous rapid fire. It's 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 <laughs> it's meant to be kind of lighthearted. We ask the expert things that have nothing to do with medicine. I have a couple of questions for you. Anybody who's had to break out of a hospital before, I personally have been a patient at a hospital and then have been discharged. All you think about, at least I did when I was in the hospital, is like the first thing I wanted to do when I got out of the hospital. So when you went home after your bypass, what was the thing you wanted to do and did? or had, or ate, or slept, or... Yeah, right. You know, the the first thing I really wanted to do was get up the three flights of stairs that I lived in, because I lived on the top floor of a condo. Mm. And so that's... I just wanted to make it upstairs so my wife didn't have to carry me and then see my dog and and try to take a shower, really, because four days in the hospital, you got a lot of dirt and grime and whatever else. Yeah. And just your own shower has to feel so mm-hmm. good at that moment, right? Like the one that's like yeah. yours. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will say though, I, it took me a very long time to look at myself in the mirror after at my scar. Mm. So I didn't want to do that part, but I definitely wanted to get in the shower. Yeah. I'm looking forward to re-listening to this one, honestly, because like the things that you've said have been really, really great. I, I think there's going to be a lot of people who, who really take a lot of this. I was going to say, take it to heart. That's probably you not the can. Right. It's <laughs> good. It's, it's good. We like it. <laughs> the dad joke in me came mm-hmm. out no matter what. So what's been the best part about Colorado so far? The mountains and the weather. 
Really? I live, uh, I drive about a quarter of a mile and I see the mountains present themselves to me. And it's really true that the snow melts the day after. Yeah, there seems to be a Chicago to Colorado pipeline. I want to know what Jerry listens to in the car. Jerry, what do you listen to? I don't know if you're commuting or how much you have to drive when you're in Colorado, but when you are, do you just enjoy the mountain air? Do you listen to music? What's your your poison when you're stuck in the vehicle? Uh, So I work from home, so I don't commute, but um, Mm -hmm. I make it a point at about three or four o'clock, I close my computer and I go out and garden. And I put in Grateful Dead uh, in my ears and Ooh. spend two or three hours just listening. Yes. That sounds lovely. So that's my real go-to. I have a follow-up question. When you're doing a 50K, what do you listen to? Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good one. <laughs> the person I hopefully I'm running with or, now I've got a long laundry list of playlist with everything from um, the Grateful Dead up to Foo Fighters and anything that motivates you and gets you keeps going. That would be a very long playlist. Uh, there is one classical song that kind of surprised, yeah, surprises me every now and then. Yeah, that's good to have like the surprise song. You also listen for bears. <laughs> <laughs> oh right. <laughs> See, my my Chicago um, ass was like, oh, you're you're listening to the Bears game. You listen to Jeff Joniak, yeah. you know, and you're like, oh no, yeah, no, no. Yeah, I'm sure ones that want to maul you. I get it. Okay, understood. Understood. <laughs> I can't turn off the sports medicine, Jerry. Yeah. One more, Jerry. What's the next thing? What's the next 50K or the next race? Or you have something planned? I did have something for the end of October, um, but I did have a 25K in April and got a minor injury. Well, oh. it's been a three month injury. So I don't have time for that one, but I'm looking forward to the beginning of next year. And hopefully going for 100K. I'm trying to pump it up just a little bit. Awesome. Go get it, man. Yeah. I, I, and I also feel like that's like probably the, the first time in your life you've been thankful to just like get a regular injury. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I can't thank you enough for coming on. This is a really special treat for, for me. I mean, we could have caught up on the phone, but this is better to get some surprise and be able to hang out with you. And I, I hope we continue to, to touch base and, and stay in touch. And if you certainly, if you ever need anything, you know how to, <laughs> to get a hold of us. But, um, you know, I think the take home message that I found out of this, if you couple this with the cardiology episode that we just did is that like, these things are real, but at the same time, like having goals and having the things that you want to do in life and surrounding yourself by good people and then involving yourself in the, you know, seeing your doctors and making sure that things are checked up. You can make sure that you're doing all the things that you want to do and living the quality of life that you want. And, and Jerry's just a perfect example of that. Amen. Thank you. And to end the episode, health is not always what we can see. Don't ignore symptoms. See your doctor regularly. And ask your doctor friends. And ask your doctor friends. The amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.